Coming up today on In Brief with Law and Order, Avram Lum, our consulting head in New South Wales, interviews Joshua Risk, our e-hearings lead consultant for New South Wales. Joshua gives us a high-level view of what the e-hearings team do, including how they handle complex documents and evidence, what kind of clients they work with, and the type of files they're working with daily. They also chat about what happens if clients can't physically appear in a courtroom, whether brick and mortar courtrooms will exist in the future, and some basic advice on how to prepare for a Royal Commission. We're Law in Order, the leader in end-to-end document and digital solutions to the legal profession, providing expert litigation support. How would you deal with a million documents in a discovery? How do law firms that run lean really operate? What challenges should you expect during an e-discovery interstate or internationally? We're here to help you find out. We'll speak to experts in both the legal profession and within law in order, looking at case studies, real life examples and trends. We're law in order and this is In Brief. Welcome everyone to the In Brief podcast by Law and Order. We're here today with Joshua Risk, who works with our e-hearings teams. I'll let Joshua introduce himself and more on what his team does. Yeah. Welcome, Joshua. Thank you for having me. Um, So I've been working at Law & Order for about four years now. And in that time, it's been completely within the e-hearings team. And what we basically do as the e-hearings team, trying to keep it in a nutshell as much as possible, is we provide digital and electronic solutions for hearings. And that can cover trials, royal commissions or arbitrations or even tribunals or something like that. And we support them within the courtroom with building and installing the infrastructure. And we also help them from evidence management perspective. So we have a back-end team who supports the lawyers with building those court book, electronic court books for them. So how do I put that in perspective? Like, do you guys televise the court or do you go in there and set up the TVs or how, how does it work? Yeah, so it will all depend on, first of all, the courtroom and the client's requirements. So not all of them require TVs or screens. And in some cases, the courts already have the screens already inbuilt, which makes our job easier. And the clients, uh, you know, save a bit of money on those costs. But from that perspective, that's what we do. But it varies. We don't always do the same thing for every project or every hearing. Sometimes the clients want an electronic court book. Sometimes they just want evidence presentation. Sometimes they want the whole suite of services. So when I'm watching TV and, you know, I'm watching the hearings on TV, is that what you guys are doing? Yeah. So most of our webcasting and broadcasting services pertain mostly to our Royal Commission work um, since they're publicly available hearings and the public have access to those. And if you've ever seen any of the Royal Commissions being broadcasted on the news reports and you see the witness being questioned for a brief few seconds, that feed is actually coming from us. And then we provide that feed to the television stations who are able to distribute that on their channels. So how do they decide how to use your services and if they want to use your services? Yeah, so sometimes the lawyers themselves know exactly what they want. 
So for example, we get approached by a client saying, yeah, we definitely want an electronic court book. We know the benefits of those. We know you do that. So that's what we want. And in some circumstances, it's either a requirement by the courts. Um, so the judge might order it. So the judge might be sick of flicking through pages and pages of documents and trying to keep track of everything. So they just want to online portal where they can access everything in one place and annotate as they see fit. So it all depends on what they want. Sometimes it involves us doing CPDs and going out to them and providing them information on what we do. So a lot of people don't really understand or know exactly what we do. And it's not unexpected because we do a variety of different things. And, you know, just having those initial conversations is, I think, key in letting lawyers and our potential clients know what we do and what we can do for them. Thanks, Joshua. So I'm, I'm thinking from, let, let's be mindful of the listeners that probably are not very familiar with the legal industry. Can you let us know what a court book is? Yeah, sure. So a court book is all the evidence put together that is expected to be used as evidence in court in a hearing. That will include all your witness statements, the arguments that the parties want to make in court, and all the documents they want to rely on in court when they're either questioning witnesses or when they want to make their arguments or submissions. So traditionally in courts, the court book was hard copy and all the lawyers had to submit their documents to the court register, which as you might expect if you're listening to this is a very lengthy process. You have to physically walk to the courtroom, physically talk to the person, physically get them to stamp the documents and et cetera. Whereas an electronic court book, everything is stored on a cloud-based server. So it works very much like a Dropbox system, uh, but a very secure Dropbox system where the lawyers will be given their username and credentials and they'll be able to log on and navigate, search and add their notes to all the documents in the court book, just as they would in a hard copy scenario, but from the convenience of their device. So when when I watch TV and you know we watch these like these action movies or murder you know mo- movies involving murder like they deal with like the gloves yes. they deal with like the, the the weapons right so do you guys handle how do you guys handle that uh, well that's mostly the lawyer's job uh, but we have done a few criminal trials we don't do too many mm-hmm. uh, but. To be honest, while we do deal with the evidence, it's more of a matter of we're more concentrating on getting the evidence in order. We're not really looking at the documents. We're more stressed about, oh, uh, we need to get this ready by court by 8.30 a.m. So, uh, before court starts. So what's the, what's the date of this document? We're not actually looking at the actual contents or we're not really. Not that it's a scenario of whether we want to or don't want to. It's just that there's a lot of time pressures, especially because our team is on the front lines. We're in the courtroom. We're at the final end of the legal process, while other departments in law and order might be months prior to an actual trial. So the deadlines and requirements are very, you know, strict. So a lot of our team are really narrow focused on just the boring stuff, I guess, of the information. I've never been to court and I don't plan on going to court anytime soon. So in the courtroom, if we're doing things electronically, does everybody have like a laptop or a tablet if we're doing things electronically? How does it work when you flick through these witness statements? So to paint a picture, I guess if you've ever been to a courtroom, you've got the judge's bench right at the front and you've got two lawyer benches in front of that. 
Yep. And you've got the witness box, I guess, to the left-hand side of the judge. Yeah, just like on TV. Yeah, yep. just like on okay. Judge Judy. Yep, <laughs> yeah, yep. okay. Yeah, that's that's my reference. That, yeah. Uh, yeah, okay. Let's <laughs> just use Judge. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so um, you can imagine them all sitting there, but instead, as you might imagine, you have all these different screens on the bar tables. Aha, uh-huh. okay. One screen will have the real-time transcript, so everything that's being said will um, come up on a little scroll screen and that will be updated in real time. So everything that's being said will be live Typed? captioned will it be typed on by the screen. Okay. Yes. Okay. Um, and then the lawyers can uh, like follow that and they can, okay, so w- what did I say back there? Okay, I can scroll back there and refer mm-hmm. to that. Um, as well as that screen, you've also got the screen with the evidence being presented. Yep. So we always provide a specialized court operator who sits in a like a little box in the corner of the room. Right. And they have like a little PowerPoint a very high level PowerPoint system where they can distribute what's the evidence being called in court to all the screens in the courtroom. So the witness can see it, the judge can see it and the lawyers can see it. And then as well as those two screens, we've also sometimes there's a third screen where the lawyers can hook up their laptops and they can access their court book and their documents that way. So you can imagine all these different screens in the court book with all these different things on the screens running at the same time. So yeah, that's that's the major difference. Walking into a traditional courtroom setting versus walking into electronic trial. So do they just call on um, Josh? Can you pull up this document and you just put it on the screen? Is that how it generally works? Yeah, that's basically it. So they'll either do that via a tab. So with a court book, we create like a list, an index, and yep. it'll be like document one is tab one, document two is tab two. So in the courtroom, when counsel wants to call up a specific document that say, can I please have tab 32? And then the operator will be able to quickly type in tab 32 and bring that up instantly. We also use document IDs, but I imagine that might be too, uh, too technical, but it's really um, a lot of the lawyers with um, electronic discovery systems produce a unique ID. And the purpose of that is so there's no duplication or overlap. So when they're caught in court, the judge and the operator knows exactly what document needs to be brought up. So what about videos? Like do they do you do you find yourself or in your past case pulling up videos as well or audios? Yeah, absolutely. We do um, pull up videos and in some circumstances, as you may, you know, predict, because of technology it's always ever growing and because our team is very versatile we're always adding new service lines to our portfolio. So one of those was during a previous Royal Commission about two years ago, we um, had to play videos in court, but also redact their faces and beep out what specific uh, sensitive terms they were saying. So our team was in the back at eight in the morning, yeah. uh, blurring out these faces and, you know, adding in the sensor beep whenever they're saying a, like a confidential word. And then within half an hour, we're giving it to the court operator to, you know, show in court that day. So anything that, you know, involves any sort of electronic or digital file, uh, we'll work with that to make it work in court. And that includes playing videos, playing audio and that type of thing. So this is a pretty interesting industry. It sounds almost like, let me ask you this question. How did you get into this? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, so I actually studied law. I didn't study technology or IT at all. Yeah. Even though our team does require like a substantial IT skills. But yeah, after graduating from the College of Law, um, 
was kind of looking at getting into a law firm but realised the chaotic nature of it. It kind of wasn't for me. But then one of my good old friends who's a team member with me at the e-hearings team, you know, told me about this. And to be honest, after studying six years of law, I had never heard of e-hearings or e-trials or electronic solutions at all. And, you know, having my eyes open to that was very interesting. And then over the years, you start to notice not just myself, but other law firms are starting to catch wind of what we do and judges are embracing electronic trials more and more as they start to see the the benefits, which are mostly time-saving benefits involved with hearings. So, yeah, I guess it was kind of like it wasn't an intentional transition, but I'm, I'm glad it happened nonetheless. Do, do you have a lot of people in this industry that are probably, they, they, they try to make it into movies, doing production for movies and maybe didn't work or TV and didn't work out and they're doing it for this instead? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So one of our team members actually comes from Channel 7. So okay. he was a big producer there. So he was in charge of, you know, getting the production sets ready for yep. uh, the morning shows. So that was very helpful for us because we do a lot of the same thing by setting up screens, microphones in the courtroom and, you know, managing the audio levels within the courtroom as well. So um, as you can see, we've had staff members from a large variety of backgrounds. We've had people from IT, networking, AV, law. We've even had someone from an architectural background who was able to, you know, plan the layouts of the courtroom and where we can place different screens and things like that. So yeah, it does encourage people from a multitude of different backgrounds to, you know, find their comfort within our team. So how does one get into what you guys do? So as I understand it, besides, you know, the stuff that Law & Order already does in advertising and reaching out, there isn't a lot of, you know, outreach and a lot of, I guess, information out there about what we do. And mostly that comes from the fact that it is an emerging market, still relatively new in the growth stage. But yeah, you're really going to have to, you know, your your general avenues, your internet, uh, you know, going to those corporate events. Sometimes we do have booths at legal events and other marketing type events. And there are ways where we can reach out as well. And certainly things like the podcast we're doing today is a great way to, you know, get the message out and inform people about what we do and what the benefits are with the e-hearings um, solution. So Josh, why don't you tell me what kind of clients do you guys have? Like what kind of companies uh, or firms would reach out to you guys for your services? Yeah, sure. So um, I guess from the e-hearings perspective, we have, I guess, three major types of clients. First of all is your major law firms. So, you know, the big four uh, or the major players within the industry, they're our major bread and butter. We do a lot of our e-hearings trolls there. We've got one currently in Brisbane, which is running with um, three parties. And then our other main um, client, I would say, would be our government clients. Mm -hmm. So the Department of Justice, um, you know, Royal Commissions and things like that, the AGD, we do a lot of work with them. Um, the government solicitor office, we do a lot of work for them as well. Uh, we do do some one-off jobs for like smaller firms. Sometimes they just like the online court book and want it as like a review platform. 
um, so they can just upload their documents and access them at any time. So we, we do do open ourselves to those smaller firms. And we've also done work for like the CDPP in the past as well on uh, a couple of criminal matters. So yeah, it's pretty much everything. Uh, we have clients from a large variety of different backgrounds, but mostly um, your your general commercial law firms and your government um, departments. So how do they decide whether to go electronic or not? Um, and who, who decides that? Yeah. Okay. So there are different avenues. It, it depends. So sometimes a client, if they're very happy with work we've done with them before, they will usually push for us to use. Another reason could be the parties don't want to use paper at all. So they reach out to us. Another one could be straight from the judge themselves. So we've had trials where the parties don't necessarily want to use electronic trial for whatever reason, but the judge is really pushing for it because they find it more convenient for them. And we find more and more that judges are ordering and requiring that parties do find a provider for e-hearings, which is good for us. That means we have a lot of people approaching us rather than us outreaching to them. So it just depends. It depends on who wants it. And usually they're coming to us in those circumstances. Is there a particular kind of trial or a type of evidence that would would lean more towards going electronic? Yeah, so most of our trials are civil, you know, your commercial type, you know, financial, people call them boring trials, you know, your draw trials. Yep. <laughs> so uh, they're basically, because they have so many documents, so many financial records, so many, you know, evidence they have to go through. And while I wouldn't say there's a specific type of document, we deal a lot mostly with PDF documents. They're the most universal in supported software, you know, presenting in court. So we do do a lot of PDFs and it's mostly financial documents and reports and things like that. So that does sound pretty dry and probably <laughs> boring. But what can you tell me maybe the more interesting kind of stuff you've worked on in the past? Yeah. So um, a lot of our CDPP trials are very interesting. I wouldn't go into detail on... Uh, like what those trials are, but yep. we the topics I guess I can go into. So we had like a counterterrorism case, which was very interesting, and that required a jury. And in that circumstance, we had to customize a solution for the jury to have their own jury book. And each document in the jury book will be password locked. And each time the prosecutor will call up that document, they'll be given the jury will be given that password to access the document and see it. And then those surfaces, which the tablets, will be locked down after each day and will be secure. So it was a very secure-based um, solution we had going on and it was very interesting topic-wise as well. And some of our inquiries and our Royal Commissions have been a bit more interesting. So the Aged Care Royal Commission and the uh, Financial Services Royal Commission and certainly the Northern Territory and the Child Abuse Royal Commission were very interesting and very landmark commissions. Let's talk about the commissions. You, you, you've mentioned uh, the commissions quite a bit. So what what is a, a commission? Sure. So a royal commission is a government-sanctioned legal proceedings uh, to make it easier for the listeners. It's usually national-based, but not always. Um, some of them are state-based. But generally what it is, it's a little bit different. It has different rules to a normal trial but it's all about getting to the bottom of a specific issue. So, for example, the Child Abuse Royal Commission was about 
looking into the procedures all these institutions had in place and why there was a failure and what they can do in the future to improve those failings. Um, So it's a systematic approach. It's all about improving systems. It's not necessarily intended to get people in trouble like in a criminal trial. However, having said that, criminal trials have come out from the evidence from a Royal Commission. And the other major difference is it is publicly widely available. So all the webcasting that you see on the TV screens are because they're Royal Commissions, they're for the public to see. And there's a lot more accountability and transparency as opposed to a private hearing. Yeah, so the commissions seem to be quite a hot topic in the news for the past few years. Can you share, like, what are some of the things you would recommend to maybe companies or people that are being called upon uh, from the commission? Um, so this might be a question more for their lawyers, but, you know, preparing the documents that they need, obviously, in advance, and then getting them in a format that makes it easier for uploading to the court books and presenting on the screen. So without getting too technical, there are certain requirements to get a document up to scratch for lawyers to search within the terms of the document or to bring it up on the screen. So uh, just to keep in mind, and this is, I guess, a tip for all trials, not just commissions, the earliest you can engage with the provider or with the team assisting with documents, uh, the better it is going to be in the long run. Because sometimes, you know, people leave it to the last minute and then all of a sudden there's thousands and thousands of documents that need to be processed and there's delays and, uh, you know, rushing can cause errors and things like that. So my recommendation for any project we ever do is early engagement and communication. So getting all that interesting information up in, in the courtroom seems very difficult. What, how do you handle very technical, complex kind of documents or evidence? Yeah, so um, when a document is, we use the general term processing. Um, so when we process a document to get it ready for court, there's a number of things uh, like checkboxes that we like to check before um, to ensure that it is ready for court. One of those is to make sure the uh, document is text searchable. So what that means is when anybody scans a document through a scanner and you try to highlight the text of it within your computer, uh, you'll find that you won't be able to select the text. And that causes issues down the line where you know lawyers want to search for a specific term in a document or the judge wants to search for a specific witness name within the court book. It won't bring up the results in a document that isn't text searchable. So one process that we do run and a number of departments in law and order runs is OCRing, uh, which basically uh, makes the document text searchable so that you can do all those things that I was mentioning before. Another processing element that our team does is stamping. So each document, as I was alluding to earlier on in the conversation, has a unique identifier to help the judge the lawyers and the operators find documents very quickly and identify them. So what we do, what our team and other departments in law and order do is we paginate the top right hand or sometimes the bottom right hand corner of every page of a document with a unique number. And that helps, you know, identifying not just the document, but the specific page number as well. So in trial, we've had certain circumstances where a lawyer will call up the 
77th page of a document ID. So for example, they'll call, can I please have document ABC.001.0077? So that's document one, page 77. So that will allow the court operator to quickly type in that, say, okay, I know to go to page 77 and that page stamp is there and they can bring that up in court. Uh, so that's just some of the processing requirements. Another one is metadata. So metadata is all information that pertains to a specific document. So that can include its name, its uh, date, its description, its confidentiality status. So if there's any sensitive information on the document and when that information gets imported into the court book system, the lawyers can see that information from a snapshot view. So that gives them all the information they need about the document. So how do you guys handle like uh, all that documents together? Like it can be quite messy. Of course. Yeah. So um, we do have dedicated teams for each project. So we do have a Royal Commission team that just does Royal Commission work. And we have another team who just does other trials. However, we do have other team, uh, certain members like myself who kind of overlaps between the two, uh, helping with document management. But another big way we deal with that is managing multiple mailboxes. So for each project, we have different mailboxes. So any request from a particular client goes straight to that mailbox. And then we have staff allocated to those mailboxes and we'll be able to, you know, view, respond and action accordingly based upon the request. Joshua, I heard sometimes there are cases where a witness isn't able to appear. Um, What are some things you guys can do for that? Yeah, absolutely. So um, nowadays, there are certainly uh, the technology in place to, you know, not require a witness to come into court at all. And the way that works is through a video conferencing system. Uh, Most courtrooms have that in place. But what we do is manage the bridge and create the connection between the courtroom and the location where the witness is due to appear. So when a witness is too sick or where they they live all the way in the United Kingdom and it's very difficult for them to come down and give evidence, we can create those connections and they can appear and we can work around their schedule and have them give evidence. And it is very one-to-one. There's very low latency so you'll have counsel looking at them, them looking at counsel, and they'll be able to have a conversation. So like FaceTime? Yeah, it's very much similar yeah. to FaceTime. Okay. And we run tests with them like a couple of weeks prior just to make sure there's no issues and they can do what they can do. And we also run tests with the court room as well. The other good thing about the feature we use is the operator can also still distribute the evidence being called to the witness and we can set multiple camera angles so the witness can have a view of the judge, can have a view of the counsel and can have a view of the document being called up at the same time. So it is a very useful and flexible feature and we find that more and more firms are requesting the feature every you know, trial. And a lot of witnesses don't feel like coming out anymore, <laughs> yeah, right? Exactly right. Okay. They chuck a sickie, so to speak. It sounds like the world is going more from paper to electronic, everything we do. Is there going to be a time when we don't have to physically appear in court anymore? What's your thought? What are your thoughts on that? If it does end up to that extreme, it'll still take, I think, a good decade or two at least. But I do find that a lot of the court processes that were required to be done in court are slowly 
moving out. So, so for example, the court book, uh, you had to go to the register to, you know, process your documents. That's no longer required. You just need an internet connection and Google Chrome to access that. You know, video conferencing, as I was talking about before, another way to, you know, not require um, people to, to give evidence. Uh, real-time transcript, which I briefly touched on before. The lawyers who aren't able to appear in court, they can access the real-time transcript and follow the proceedings from, you know, their real-time transcript app. And obviously with the Royal Commission, we broadcast the hearings out to the major stations and, um, you know, on the web. So obviously there's so many little, little, but you start to see the big picture, like little different sections are kind of branching out into that more digital outside the courtroom feature. But as you can start to see, as little parts start to move out, it'll start to form into a bigger, you know, more or less reliant um, court book that, you know, people don't have to attend. What about jury? So if I'm being called for jury duty, can I say, oh, I'll just take it from home? I actually don't know uh, with the jury duty, which is funny because I actually got asked for jury duty right. recently this year and I'm exempt because I got a law degree, so lucky <laughs> me. <laughs> uh, but with jury duty, I think it is important to still have a courtroom only because part of the process is having the jury together and during adjournments they, can, they have to go into the jury deliberation room and the major importance of that is so they can't talk about the trial, you know, outside and they can't get influenced by external influences. So I think from a jury perspective, I think we're still looking at like a very confined, confidential, you know, sensitive, you know, setting. Uh, but more so the civil trials, I can certainly see them becoming, you know, less reliant on actually going to court and resolving those issues. Right. So what about, you mentioned sometimes the lawyers aren't able to show up and you do video conferencing for them, right? So how does that happen often? Um, not necessarily. It's more witnesses. For lawyers who can't appear in court, they're not particularly the lawyers that actually question the witnesses. They're mostly the solicitors that sit in the back and they prepare mm. you know, the notes for counsel. For those lawyers, they can view the transcript of the proceedings from their own office and there's also an inbuilt chat system so they can, you know, they can send a message to the council in the courtroom saying, hey, check out this document. Maybe that's relevant to question the witness. But I wouldn't say we've had a scenario where the lawyer themselves has been que questioned, like it's talking <laughs> remotely yeah. um, to the courtroom. But who knows, that might happen in the next few years. You never know with this industry. Uh, it, it continuously surprises you. Yeah. Uh, what, what do you see as like the future? I mean, we talked about very futuristic, maybe no need for a courtroom, any physical courtroom anymore, but what do you see in the industry in, in, in the near future, I guess in the next few years? In the near future, I don't see anything in terms of huge progressions. I see it as more of a continuous growth, which is what we've seen in the last couple of years, more trials adopting what we already do. So things like... Um, the real-time transcript, video conferencing, electronic court book, evidence presentation. I think we're going to see a lot of growth in that area for the next few years because when I started back in 2016, we had one Royal Commission and I think one trial running at one time. However, now we have 
I think in the last four months, we've had six trials in Melbourne. We have two royal commissions. We've had an inquiry and we have an arbitration upcoming in Hong Kong. So as you can see, and we've also expanded our team from four members to about about 20, give or take, 20 members, give or take. So as you can see, we're scaling up with the demand for these services. A lot more people want them. What I say in the very long term is what I'd like to see is a digital courtroom. So kind of like a chat room where you have like different different people joining in from their offices and, you know, the court book being accessible on the same system, the transcript being accessible, everything that we implement in the courtroom, but on a digital platform. Yeah, I think I saw, I see it in some sci-fi movies. I'm not sure if Star Trek or maybe it was Star Wars, the one where it kind of beams people like like a hologram and they do it all through there. Yes, um, well, a lot of things from those movies from the 80s are coming true now. Like you see Ready Player One and VR taking off and, you know, smart touch phones and touch interfaces yep. where, they, you know, that was in stuff like Blade Runner and things like that. So we're like... When it, this is nuts, when is this going to happen? But, you know, it, it comes around the corner and technology is, you know, unspoken how fast the exponential rate it grows. So I wouldn't be surprised if that kind of thing happens in the next decade or so. So the legal industry is, um, well, let's say there's a lot of people in the legal industry that is still very old school. Yes. How difficult has it been for you and maybe the industry to convince them to go electronic yeah, well, look, it can be difficult, certainly. So as you know, in trials, there are usually the law firm and then they will have a barrister who, you know, argues the claims in court. And while the solicitors are usually fine to use the services, it's the old barristers who kind of, you know, a bit iffy about how do you do this? I want this done. Like, why won't this work the way I want it to work? And in some cases, we will have our back-end support team that will help them through that. Or alternatively, the solicitors will actually assist them with whatever they need. We try to alleviate that by offering all the lawyers free training sessions where we come to their premises and we run through the online court book with them, all the features and answer any questions we have. And we also have a dedicated support team who they can email at any time and we can assist with that. But funnily enough, the group that I thought would be most resistant is actually the most, you know, for the change. And that's the judges. We find that the judges are like really pushing for it. And I think it's just the fact that they're really just tired of going through folders and folders of documents and that it just really frustrates them uh, in a paper trial. They just don't like doing that. They, they hate the time wasted trying to find the documents. So the more trials they're in where they're in electronic trials, they're, they're seeing the benefit of that. And they're just like, you know what, I just rather just use this from now on. So yeah, that's how we're finding them. It's more so you have to use it to actually see the benefit is yeah. what I suggest. What would you say the most challenging thing about your job is? communicating what we do. <laughs> so <laughs> this is a great opportunity to do that. So you could go up to a lot of lawyers and you can, especially not so much the CBD ones, but if you go more out west to the suburbs and if you quote e-courts, they'll be like, what in the world is that? And that was me when I joined the team. They're like, okay, um, what do you know about e-trials? <laughs> I was like, oh, they're electronic tri they're trials, but they're electronic. <laughs> 
And the reason for that is because we're not just one department doing one thing. We're not just doing video conferencing. We're not just doing real-time transcript. We're doing a multitude of different things and, you know, trying to define what an e-hearing is, is pretty difficult in itself. So yeah, it's just getting the message out, informing people. And I think the other challenge is um, engagement and communication because it is a new industry as well. Um, A lot of the clients, a lot of the lawyers don't fully grasp the whole process. So it's about us communicating with them, working with them and informing them of that process and making sure they have a clear understanding of what's expected. So for people that are more interested in this or people who even don't know or should know about this, are they teaching this in the in the schools? As far as I'm aware, I think some universities do offer maybe electives. But College of Law certainly doesn't from my perspective. And that's the major college that everyone goes to after uni. And that's the more practical college. So you do all your appearing in court training there and things like that. I know we were in the process a couple of years back developing like a a module for a for a unit for electronic trials, but I'm not sure where that actually got up to. But I know there is an interest there, but I don't think it's it's at where I think it should be at. I think uh, more more universities should look at teaching that, especially because once the industry does adopt e-trials more, lawyers are going to be expected to have a depth understanding of these technologies and how to use them. And you're only going to get a benefit out of the technology if you know how to use them. If you pay for electronic court book and you don't know how to use it and then you're just like, you know what, just put it to the side, it's a waste of money and you're not going to get the benefit out of it. So my suggestion is technology will only work as good as you want it to. Um, So being trained and being versed and, you know, having those units available in the universities and colleges is a great way to start getting those people up to date with what's going on. Yep. Um, Why don't we talk a little bit about yourself? So what do you do outside of e-hearings? So um, not much because e-hearings takes a lot of my time. Yep. (laughs) But other than that, I, you know, I, I'm a very boring person. I like to stay at home, uh, watch movies, watch a lot of Netflix I watch a lot, uh, play a lot of video games. I'm, you know, that's basically my full-time occupation outside of work is just, you know, enjoying myself, you know, entertaining myself with those different things. Uh, I'm from uh, the inner West Sydney uh, suburbs, but otherwise um, sometimes I'm up at the Shire as well uh, with my partner. And then even then, because a lot of our trials happen remotely as well, sometimes I'm actually in another state and sometimes I make the most of that as well and enjoy the sights up there. Um, but, yeah, as I said, pretty not a, not a you know, super exciting life, but, you know, I, I still enjoy it. Nice. So it sounds like what you do, like you guys get to travel a lot, right? So yes. um, where are some of the places you've gone to and do you guys travel very often? Yes. Um, so not particularly me, but a lot of other members of our team travel a lot. Our most frequent places are probably Victoria and Queensland, Melbourne and Brisbane, and sometimes Perth. We have done a few uh, remote trials for the Royal Commissions in Alice Springs and Darwin, and that was certainly an interesting place to visit. We've done 
India and Singapore, and I think we've got one upcoming in Hong Kong. We did one last year in The Hague. Uh, we did a trial there, so that was, that was very interesting. Uh, that was in the Netherlands, in the international court there. So, yeah, that was that was very interesting. I think we've had one at the Cayman Islands, but don't quote me on that. That that might be more of the the more exotic <laughs> locations that we've visited. But, yeah, it's mostly Australia-wide. And when it comes to Australia, we travel quite constantly. We currently have three staff members in Melbourne on trial. And um, once the Royal Commission starts up, I think we'll have a couple more in there as well. Good. Uh, thanks, Josh, for uh, sharing so much about this industry. It's a very interesting industry and spending your time with us today. Are, are there any more last things you want to mention? No, look, um, it's like I've been iterating before. Uh, the e-hearing space is a very emerging space. It's very new. Um, I would encourage people to read up on it, especially if you're thinking of doing a, a trial and you don't want to go through pages and pages of documents. And feel free to contact you know, the Law & Order team if you're thinking about it. And yeah, thank you for having me and I hope you enjoyed uh, you know, the discussion. Thanks, Josh. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Law & Order's podcast, In Brief. Law in Order is the leading supplier of end-to-end document and digital solutions to the legal profession. We provide expert litigation support through cost-effective document production, expert managed document review and discovery management, and e-trial and e-arbitration solutions. If there's a topic you'd like us to cover in a future episode, please let us know at sales at lawinorder.com. If you liked what you heard in this episode, please tell your friends and colleagues and leave a review on iTunes. We hope you can join us again for the next episode of In Brief. Until then, thank you for listening.